You are listening to RudolfSteinerAudio.com. As well, you can hear these podcasts at RudolfSteiner.Podbean.com. Please consider becoming a patron. As well, there are two publishing houses, SteinerBooks.org in America and RudolfSteinerPress.com in England, which are the sole publishers of Steiner into English and have given me permission to do these recordings. Please consider patronizing them as well. This is a reading of Collected Works, Volume 144, by Rudolf Steiner, entitled The Mysteries of Initiation, From Isis to the Holy Grail, four lectures, given in Berlin between the 3rd and the 7th of February, 1913. It's a revised translation by Charles Davy. Lecture 1, given in Berlin on the 3rd of February, 1913. In these lectures, I should like to bring before you a picture of the nature of the mysteries and their connection with the spiritual life of humanity. First, by way of introduction, we must come to an understanding with regard to various experiences on the path to the higher worlds. We shall have to bring forward things that, in a certain connection, have already been touched upon in the course of our anthroposophical studies, but during the next few days, We shall need certain points of view which may have so far received less attention, at least in their necessary setting. Everything that belongs to the mysteries in their true nature is founded ultimately on the experiences of initiates in the higher worlds. It is from the higher worlds that the knowledge and the impulses for practical training in the mysteries have to be brought. We have often emphasized that human evolution in different regions takes on different forms in successive periods. And so is it with everything that we call the nature of the mysteries. It is not for nothing that our souls pass through successive human lives. We go through them because in every incarnation we experience something fresh and can add it to what we have garnered in previous incarnations. In most cases, the appearance of the external world has completely changed when after our passage through the spiritual worlds between death and a new birth we enter again through birth into physical existence. And for reasons that we can easily recognize the principle of initiation must also change in the successive epochs of humanity. In our own time the principle of initiation has already undergone a great change in that initiation can be attained up to a certain stage without any personal guidance. For it has been possible to set out publicly the principles of initiation as far as has been done. For example, in my book titled How to Know Higher Worlds. Readers aside, this is also entitled Knowledge of the Higher Worlds and Its Attainment. And of readers aside. Anyone who tries quite seriously to work through the experiences described in this book can go very far in relation to the principle of initiation. We can go so far that the existence of the spiritual world becomes for us a matter of knowledge, equally with our knowledge of the external physical world. By slowly and gradually applying to our souls in due sequence the exercises given, we will break through to an understanding of the spiritual worlds. The way of initiation can now be described and pursued without exposing the soul to certain events which could lead it into particular catastrophes and revolutions. Up to this point, 
Accordingly, it is possible today to discuss in public the way into the higher worlds. But it must be said also that for anyone seriously resolved to go further, the way is even today bound up with the enduring of certain pains and sorrows, and with some quite special experiences that can have a dismaying, revolutionary effect on our lives. And for these we must have undergone a thorough preparation. I must again emphasize, however, that anyone can follow through everything that has been published without risk of harm, and by this means we can go very far along the way. The path to the higher worlds, one need hardly say, is never closed. But anyone who wishes to follow it beyond a certain frontier must be specially prepared if they are to reach the end of it without having their inner life shaken, not morbidly, but shaken through and through. Even these shocks pass quite naturally over the soul when the whole course of initiation is carried out rightly. But it is very necessary that it should be carried through in the right way. Now, we must understand clearly that if anyone wants to plunge into the mysteries, everything in his life of soul must gradually become different. The change can be characterized in a few words by saying, for anyone wishing to penetrate the mysteries, the aims and goals that figure in ordinary psychic life must all become a means to higher purposes, higher goals. In ordinary life we perceive the external world through our senses, we perceive it in colors, forms and sounds and other sense impressions. We live within this world of sense impressions. At the moment when initiation is to enter a certain stage, we must not simply experience blue or red or any other colors all the time. Without losing these experiences, we must learn to make them a means to higher ends. In ordinary life, we look out on a clear day into space and see the blue sky and enjoy the sight. But if we want to be an initiate of a certain degree, we must come to the point of being able to see the blue of the heavens as completely transparent. While normally it is a limit or boundary, it must now become transparent, and we must be able to see what we want to see through the blue sky. For us it must no longer be a boundary. Or let us take a rose. For external vision the surface of the rose is bounded by its red color. At the moment of initiation the red color ceases to be a boundary. It becomes transparent, and behind it appears what is being sought. The color does not cease to produce its own natural effect, but initiates perceive something different when they look through the blue sky, when they look through the red of the rose, and again when they look through the rosy dawn, and so on. The color is experienced in a quite definite manner, but for unmediated vision it becomes transparent and is eliminated by the force within the soul that has been acquired through the training that leads to clairvoyance. So it is with all sensory impressions. Whereas previously they were in themselves a complete experience, after initiation they become merely a means of experiencing what lies behind them. Thus it is with the whole world of thought. In ordinary life we think, I beg you not to misunderstand this in any way, 
If you compare it in the right sense with other explanations, you will see the agreement, but it is nonetheless true to say that from a certain stage of initiation, thinking in the usual sense of the word ceases. It is not that initiates could ever come to a time when they would regard thinking as of no significance, but instead of being the aim and object of the life of the soul, thinking must become merely a means to an end. Initiates, in fact, are entering a new world. In order to experience this, it is necessary for them, besides other things of which we shall have to speak, to pass beyond the standpoint of ordinary thinking on the physical plane. When we live on the physical plane, we judge things and form opinions about them. After a certain stage of initiation, these opinions no longer have any meaning or value. But as we are speaking about regions of the life of the soul, so different from those to which we are accustomed, I must point out that it is very easy for misunderstandings to arise. When this stage of initiation, which I shall have to describe later on, is reached, then, as a rule, a person will have to lead a kind of double life. For in everyday life it is impossible not to reflect and form judgments upon things. On the physical plane we are forced to form judgments and to think. Suppose you were sitting in a train and were not thinking. You would go past your station. It could even happen that although an anthroposophist ought to take care of his membership card, a thoughtless person might leave it lying about, which would be against all the principles that should be observed in looking after it. Well, life is such that we must use our judgment and reflect. But with this attitude toward judging and thinking, we cannot attain to the higher worlds. A mixing of the two attitudes may occur, one can be so absorbed in the urge to reach the higher worlds as to be guilty of such a lapse of memory as I have just mentioned. However, on the whole, it should certainly be possible to keep these two things apart, a truly sound power of judgment for the physical plane, holding all life's duties in view, and at the same time never forgetting that what we develop so assiduously for the physical plane can be only a means to an end where the higher worlds are concerned. Thoughts, ideas, and judgments must be for aspirants to initiation what colors, for example, are for painters. For painters, they are not an end in themselves, but rather a means of expressing what they want to say in their picture. In ordinary physical life, thoughts and ideas are an end in themselves. For initiates, they become the means of expressing what they experience in the higher worlds. This stage can be reached only when a certain attitude of soul toward our personal views and opinions has been acquired. Persons who have any preference for one view or another, who still prefer one thing or another to be true, cannot enter the stage of initiation referred to here. Rather, only those who esteem their own views as little as they do those of others and are prepared to set aside their own opinions and to observe quite objectively what is really there. In general, one of the greatest difficulties of inner experience is to get beyond the standpoint of opinions and points of view. Here we touch upon certain difficulties that may arise in living together with other people when we are seeking to follow the path 
into the higher worlds. Anyone who is seeking this path, or has already arrived at a certain stage on it, will take an attitude toward many things in life, through the condition their soul has attained, which will be different from the ordinary one. Above all, they will reveal the characteristic of knowing quickly, let us say, how one ought to behave in this or that circumstance of life. Then perhaps they are asked by those around them, why should we do that? Certainly when they can appreciate the other person's point of view, they will always be able to account for this why. But first they will have to come down from the level where they see in a flash what has to be done and take their stand beside the person, forcing themselves to follow the train of thought of ordinary life in order to show what proof there is for what they see through in a flash. This rapid comprehension of widely varying and complicated circumstances of life is a phenomenon that accompanies the faculty of rising above personal opinions and views and standpoints. Apart from this, we must seek to attain what is connected with various other inner moral qualities. Of these we shall have to speak later. We will point now to only one quality to which we have often alluded. It is fearlessness. For we must bear in mind that when the entire life of the soul is reduced to being a means instead of ranking as an end in itself, the experiences into which one enters are transformed. In the first place, there will be a quite new mode of experiencing. One is indeed entering into the unknown, and this is at first always accompanied by conditions of fear. And because the whole experience takes place in the intimate depths of the soul, the state of fear may lead to all kinds of inner psychic experiences. Hence the preparations for the path into the higher worlds involves the achievement of a certain fearlessness. We have to win this fearlessness by means of very definite meditations. It can be done. Only, generally speaking, people lack sufficient perseverance for the kind of meditations required. A good meditation is to give oneself up again and again to the thought that knowing about something makes no difference to the thing itself. If, for instance, someone were at this moment to know that something bad is going to happen in an hour's time and that nothing can be done to prevent it, their knowledge of it would probably cause them anxiety and fear. But their knowledge does not alter the thing in the least. Hence the fear and anxiety are entirely futile. It is a futility to which all souls quite naturally give way, a folly which assuredly would assail anyone at a certain stage of initiation if our training had not prepared us for fearlessness by requiring us to say to ourselves again and again, is anything at all altered by the fact of knowing about it? Meditants who have worked up to certain stages of initiation then come to a very remarkable piece of knowledge, the knowledge that in a certain sense things are in a bad way with regard to their inner being, their own human soul. Beneath the threshold of the consciousness there is indeed something that we would wish to be different, judging by the opinions of ordinary life. In a certain respect it is something quite terrifying and it would be in the natural order of things that if we were to be led unprepared into the depths of our own souls, 
we would get an incredible shock. One must prepare oneself, then, by an ever-repeated meditation on the thought things cannot be altered by knowing about them. Of a truth, the thing that is terrifying in the subliminal regions of the soul is not called forth only when one approaches it and looks at it. It is always there, even when we are not aware of it. But through constantly repeated meditation on the thought that things cannot be altered by knowing about them, one expels a great part of the fear that must be got rid of. As you see from just a few things I have mentioned, that in the moment when we are preparing to rise into higher worlds, intellectual and moral qualities of the soul intermingle. For the ordinary external knowledge of our time, we require only intellectual qualities. In this connection I call courage and fearlessness moral qualities. Without them, certain stages of initiation cannot be reached. Whether we are speaking of Eastern mysteries or Western mysteries, all have certain stages in common. Hence, for all mysteries, certain expressions have a valid meaning and can be rendered somewhat as follows. Every soul that wishes to attain to a certain stage of initiation and the mysteries must go through certain experiences. The first can be called, quote, coming into contact with the experience of death, close quote. The second is, quote, passing through the elementary world, close quote. The third was called in the Egyptian and other mysteries, quote, seeing the sun at midnight, close quote. And a fourth one is, quote, the meeting with the upper and the lower gods, close quote. These experiences must be gone through by everyone who attains to a certain stage of initiation. Through inner experience they must come to know what these phrases mean and must be capable, so to speak, of living in two worlds, the actual world in which we live today, the world of the physical plane, and a world in which we can live only when we know what is meant by having, quote, come into contact with death, close quote, by having, quote, gone through the elementary world, close quote, by having, quote, seen the sun at midnight, close quote, and by, quote, meeting with the upper and the lower gods, close quote. To come into the vicinity of death, the point here is that in this waking condition between birth and death, we really live continually, insofar as we live consciously, in all that concerning which I have just been saying. It must be overcome, must become for the initiated a mere means to an end. Let us try now to be quite clear as to what we live in while we are on the physical plane. On the physical plane we live in our sensory impressions and in the ordinary experiences of our souls. All this must become merely a means as soon as we enter into the mysteries. What then remains over and above what we feel ourselves to be in ordinary life? Nothing remains. Everything sinks down into a reality of secondary degree. We must lay aside all our usual experiences, both of an inward and of an outward nature. Only think, the blue vault of heaven becomes transparent, is no longer there. All boundaries produced by color on the surface of things vanish, are no longer there. The sounds of the physical world cease, are no longer there. The experience of touch ceases, is no longer there. 
I beg you to take notes that this becomes actual experience. Thus, for example, the feeling, quote, of standing with our feet on solid ground, close quote, which is nothing else than an expression of the sense of touch, ceases and we feel as if the ground had been taken away from under us and we were standing upon nothing. But we cannot draw back and cannot rise. So it is with all impressions of the senses, with everything for which the physical body is an instrument. All that we go through in our normal life, between waking and sleeping, is brought about through the instrumentality of the body, and all this ceases. A condition from which we are preserved in ordinary life now actually occurs. The condition that would come about if someone, while sleeping, were suddenly to become conscious without waking up again in his physical body. This is not a condition reached in ordinary dreams. The dream is in a certain sense an extra-physical experience, but the consciousness of it is so lessened that the person is not aware of being outside all physical experience. This intensity of consciousness, quote, thou standest outside all physical life, close quote, is not produced until initiation. During the ascent into the higher worlds, a moment comes when we confront our physical body, whose hands we can move during waking life, with whose feet we can walk, whose knees we can bend, whose eyelids we can open and shut, and so on. But now we feel as though our whole physical body were petrified, as though it were impossible to move our eyelids, our legs, our hands, etc. A moment then comes when we know that there are eyes in this physical body, but they are of no use for seeing. On the one hand, all things become transparent, and on the other, the possibility of approaching these things with the usual and familiar means ceases completely. Try to grasp what a contradiction this is in the ordinary sense of the word. When we prepare ourselves to reach this point, we find all things are, so to speak, transparent, that we see through everything. But at the moment when this begins, for example, when the heavens become transparent, the eye, E-Y-E, ceases to have the power of seeing the blue vault of heaven at all. This means that the first moment in the mysteries consists of someone coming to the point when they overcome the method of perception by the senses and also the act of thinking. But what they should thereby attain is at the same moment taken from them. We have worked our way through to the moment where something quite new is given to us. We reach precisely the moment in which this new thing comes to meet us. But in this very instant, it is also taken away. We now know nothing but, quote, Thou hast won thy way through in such a manner that thou standest before the higher worlds, and now in that very moment they are taken from thee. Close quote. Picture this experience to yourselves, and you have the moment that has been designated in the mysteries of all the ages as, quote, the approach to the gate of death. Close quote. For we now know what is meant by the words, the world is taken from you, that is, the entire world of impressions. And we know that we consist of nothing but these experiences of inner impressions. For in reality, there exists nothing but these experiences, these inner impressions. 
as soon as we fall asleep, when all impressions cease, we normally fall into unconsciousness. This means that we live in our impressions. Now we overcome these impressions of ordinary life. We know that we have progressed so far that we can see through everything. But at this moment a new world is taken from us. We shall have to speak more in detail on this point, but first we want to make still clearer what is meant by the expressions used. In face of this unavoidable halt, with no way of getting further, the only deliverance lies in having developed our inner lives in advance of the actual moment, to such a degree that aspirants are able to carry with them the only thing which it is at all possible to take beyond that point. They must come to the point where the external world actually denies them all power, and they must have progressed so far in their inner development that at this moment, through training and self-reliance and self-confidence and presence of mind and other inner virtues, virtues here meaning capabilities, they possess inner power, inner energy, so that at the moment when the world is taken from them, they have at their disposal a surplus of inner energy. But this brings with it at the same moment an extraordinarily significant experience. Imagine coming to the boundary we have striven for, where the world is transparent, but then it is taken from us. Now we have preserved nothing. We cannot have saved anything but a certain inner strength through having trained our self-reliance, presence of mind, fearlessness, and similar inner qualities. Thereby we come to the significant experience one that forces itself upon us. Quote, Thou art alone in the world. Thou art quite alone in the world. And then comes an experience which I cannot indicate otherwise than in the words, Thou alone art the whole world. This experience becomes ever stronger and stronger, more and more comprehensive. And the remarkable thing is that from this experience in the soul, a whole new world can arise, and truly must arise in one who is to be initiated. We feel we have come to a certain boundary where we have confronted the void, but that we have brought with us a certain power. It is perhaps quite small at first, but it becomes ever greater and greater and spreads out on all sides. We begin to penetrate into the whole world, to permeate ourselves with the whole world. And the more we permeate the world with our own being, the more does it appear always different. We extend the power that we have brought with us to one side or the other, and accordingly as we extend it, we will always experience something different. But at first these experiences will be felt to be quite terrifying, because two things are entirely lacking from them. At a certain stage of knowledge, the lack of these things may not seem dreadful before it is experienced, because in the ordinary experience of the physical plane, the thing is always there, and we first get a real idea of it only when it is no longer there. One thing that ceases is every feeling for physical materiality. Everything material has disappeared into indefinite nothingness, the void. It is not there. 
The feeling of contacting something hard or even something soft like water or air, in short, the feeling of being surrounded by matter, ceases, is not there. We are concerned only with the qualities of things, not the things themselves. Of heavy, dense physical bodies, only the density remains, not the substantiality. Of fluid bodies, only the fluidity, but not the water or the fluid. Of the air, there remains only the desire to expand in all directions, but not the substantiality. We grow into the qualities of things, but with the feeling that we are growing only into the qualities, that the objects have vanished, all materiality has gone. This is one thing that ceases. The other thing that ceases for the aspirant at this stage of experience is everything connected with what in ordinary physical life we call sensory perception. This follows from what has already been described. Nothing makes an impression on us, but we are ourselves everything. The only impression that remains is, at the most, that of time. Quote, now art thou not yet anything, and after a while thou wilt be something. Close quote. But as for having objects external to ourselves, which are present elsewhere, and make an impression on us, nothing like that remains. Either we are something ourselves, or nothing at all is elementary there. Everything we encounter becomes ourselves. We become submerged in it, become one with it, and finally we become as great as the world that is at our disposal. We become one with it. Am I picturing actual experience? It is what is generally known in the mystery centers as, quote, experiencing the elementary world, close quote. The aspirants have risen beyond mere contact with death, but they are, so to speak, an undifferentiated unity with the whole world that is available to them. There are now two possibilities. Either the preparation was good or it was not good. If it was good, then the aspiring initiates, after having poured themselves out to a certain extent over the world, must have so far progressed that they still have surplus strength. In that case, you see that I am describing today from a different point of view things I have often described, but we now need this other point of view, that certain energies which had previously been sufficiently developed, then they now have the following experience. Whereas in the ordinary world one confronts an object, gazes at it, and the object makes an impression on the eye so that one then knows something about the object, EYE, when the point of initiation that has just been described is reached, such a thing no longer happens. For the aspirant is not concerned with the reproduction of the ordinary world, but from a definite point onward they must now have sufficient forces at their command to pour out more of themselves. Thus, after we have spent force enough in becoming one with the world, we must now have sufficient strength to spin forces out of ourselves as the spider spins a web. You see how the whole process of the mysteries shows the importance of developing strong inner energy in the life of the soul. For we must have large reserves in order that all this may take place. Then the following may happen. Aspirants naturally have no physical eyes, for they belong to the physical body.
and they have long left this behind. But because we have poured out something from ourselves and can pour out still more, as the spider spins her web out of herself, something akin to organs is built up, and we can discern that together with what we are ourselves producing, something absolutely new appears. Things present themselves, not as if, for instance, I had my watch here and my eyes there, but as if the eyes were to send out a ray which formed itself into a watch, so that the watch was there through the activity of the eyes. It is not a matter of constructing or creating a subjective world, but of spinning psychic substance out of ourselves, and the higher worlds we are beginning to live in have to choose this indirect way in order that we may be able to confront them and recognize them. They must first infiltrate our own psychic substance that we have placed at their disposal. In the physical world, things confront us without our cooperation. In the higher worlds, nothing confronts us unless we first place our own psychic substance at its disposal. That is why it is so difficult at this point to distinguish the subjective from the objective. For what we spin out of our psychic substance is bound to be entirely subjective, and whatever uses our psychic substance in order to become perceptible is bound to be entirely objective. I have brought forward these things so that you may experience a definite feeling that all training in the mysteries consisted preeminently in a strengthening of the energies of the soul. That was the important thing, to make the soul powerful, strong, and energetic. From the outset, candidates for initiation had to give up the hope that anyone would hand them the objects and entities of the higher world as though on a platter. They had first to develop themselves, point by point, toward the higher worlds. Nothing without effort. Absolutely nothing without effort. So it is for everything that has to be reached individually in the higher worlds. So it is for everything that has been reached in the course of human evolution with regard to the higher worlds. Let us suppose that some being, Moses, for example, was to be incarnated in the course of human evolution and had to work upon this evolution through his spiritual power. It would be childish to suppose that nothing now needed to happen except that human evolution would proceed on its way, and that at some point or other in its course, heaven would send Moses. Moses is now there. We know that he is Moses, and need only carry out what was being done when Moses came. If Moses had been sent anywhere in this way, the result could only have been that those around him would not have recognized him. The point is not that this or that external personality was there, but that a number of persons should be capable of judging what spiritual being lived in this particular personality. One would never have needed to tell these persons, quote, this one or other is Moses, close quote. One would have needed only to prepare one's soul in the proper way. Then one's soul, without being told, quote, this one or other is Moses, close quote, would have known that this was the particular spiritual being who was to be recognized as a certain person. This, then, is what we have to recognize, that the path into the higher worlds is bound up with an energizing, a strengthening of the inner powers of the soul, 
Nothing can be given from outside, but rather it all can be attained only through the strengthening of the inner life. For only by this means can we cross the threshold into those worlds through which we pass between death and a new birth. That is what I wish to bring before you today as an introduction. Tomorrow we will go further by describing, first of all, what the worlds are like between death and a new birth, and in how far it has become necessary and important that through the mystery something should be communicated to us during our physical life concerning the knowledge of these higher worlds. The end of Lecture 1